Hey, everybody, this is Ryan Dempster, and you're listening to Chad and Ryan on the Friendly Confines podcast. Chad, hard to believe, but the Cubs keep on coming in and a near miss for Hugh Darvish when we talk about the Cy Young Award. We're going to dig into that. Such a, an exciting week uh, of, of new news and some interesting news on the South Side. Yeah, definitely interesting is one way to put it. The highs and lows of what's going on with the Chicago White Sox. We'll definitely get into all that. So what I'm most excited about, Ryan, and we rarely ever don't say this, we continue to get some of the greatest guests. We've joined this week by Cincinnati Reds pitching coach Derek Johnson. Uh, By the way, he coached uh, Trevor Bauer this year, who just won the Cy Young. So we're going to dig into that with Derek in part one of our interview that and so much more stick around the friendly confines podcast starts right now hi everybody he's Chad Gordon I'm Ryan Lieber and let's start as we always do in the first inning Chad and the Cy Young Award was announced in the National League as well as the American League but Hugh Darvish, who was, of course, a finalist for the Cy Young, finished second to Trevor Bauer, who ended up winning his first Cy Young and the first in Cincinnati Reds history. Last week, Chad, I thought Darvish deserved the award based on his overall stats. You, I have to give you credit where credit deserves. You had said all along you felt like this was Bauer's year, and he did. But do you still ultimately feel like Darvish deserved the award? You know, what I love about our show is sometimes the guests we have that just times up perfectly. And how cool is it that we've got Derek Johnson, who is the, the Cincinnati Reds pitching coach. And he actually breaks it down and he talks about the differences and, and what he saw. And he had high praise for you, Darvish. We'll hear about that. But I got to tell you, I think you, Darvish, did everything he possibly could do. And I think Trevor Bauer just was a tick better. I think Trevor Bauer um, had one last loss down the stretch. His numbers was per- him over the edge I think it was a it was a horse race back and forth I think the way we finished the season and and honestly he came out in in the season um, on the one-year deal basically saying I'm going to show you that I'm worth every penny now he may be not the most um, you know congenial guy you know he, he rubs a lot of people in, in unique ways but he's a one heck of a pitcher for you Darvish I mean, this is a guy that really put it together um, since the All-Star break of last year. And and if the Cubs continue to get that sort of production, that deal, that mega deal he signed with the Cubs is going to look like a bargain. It certainly is. I guess I'm old school. And because I'm old school, I look at stats a little differently than I think people do today with the way people look at the whip or the ERA or the strikeouts to you know, innings ratio, whatever goes into it now that I even don't have a full grasp on, I guess I'm out of the loop. I look at Darvish's numbers. He led the the NL in wins. He had a, you know, very low ERA in the twos. He, uh, I believe, led the National League in strikeouts. And these were all things that I felt like ultimately um, should have given him the upper hand. And I think if we're talking 20 years ago or 25 years ago, I think we're having a different conversation about the Cy Young. The Cy Young does not 
um, obviously care about wins anymore because, you know, as, as you have put it as well, it just shows run support. But you can also flip it the other way and say that, well, what if they're duels? What if it's one to nothing or two to one? I mean, I, necess- I don't necessarily think that, you know, it means you're ultimately getting more run support than the other team. I guess you are because you're winning. But at the end of the day, if you have a low ERA and you have high strikeouts and you're putting it all together, me personally, I, I certainly felt like he deserved to win the MB, or excuse me, the Cy Young Award when it was all said and done. Good takes. Let's move on to the second inning. And what an embarrassment happening right now on the South side. And it's interesting, just a week ago, I may be quoting you incorrectly, but pretty darn close. You said the White Sox hired the greatest living manager that exists right now. And right now, how bad does the White Sox organization look knowing that before they hired him, they were aware of this DUI uh, 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 arrest or charge earlier in the year. What do you think about all this? Right yeah, now? I mean, it's it's pretty shocking, you know, and I stand by what I said. He, he is the greatest living manager right now, right? Because what he does on the field doesn't necessarily mean that what he does off the field translates into something that he's great at in life. Tony La Russa has an issue. He has a problem. And instead, I think we're not talking about, Chad, the real issue here and that he potentially has a drinking problem. And at 76 years old, making decisions that you would make potentially when you're 19 or 22, not when you're 76 and you're in a position that he's in and has, you know, the ability to call an Uber or to have a friend take him home, whatever it may be, that he decided that it was not you know, something he was going to deal with or worry about. Um, This is a bad black eye for the White Sox. And, you know, it kind of reminds me a little bit on the north side, obviously a different scenario, but of when Addison Russell was brought back to the Cubs after the alleged, um, you know, domestic battery issues that his wife had accused him of. And the Cubs brought him back into the fold and kind of just swept it under the rug. This is similar to what we're seeing. I don't think Tony La Russa should be in a position of managing a baseball team. If anything, I think Tony La Russa should be getting help. And it, it is shocking to me that Jerry Reinsdorf, who, as you said, knew all along, still went forward and really doesn't care about the image or the perception that this brings in the grand scheme of things. You know, 30 years ago, maybe this is something that people would have looked the other way. But in 2020, this is something that you take much more seriously and the White Sox are not living in 2020 based on the way that they're handling the situation. What about you? Yeah, it's, it's, it, it's very telling um, that, that the White Sox did not think that this was going to be a big deal with all the options out there and all the, the, the new fresh blood that is out there in the managerial circles. And they still decided to make this move. So as if you think he is the greatest living manager, I think Bruce Bochy might, you know, have a, uh, you know, hat to toss into that ring with his thir- three world series titles this, this decade. But if you think he is going to be that much of a game changer in, in the way he manages uh, games, and maybe that's why the white Sox said, you know, screw it. We're just going to move forward and, and we're going to, we're going to roll the dice, but you know, the latest out of the South side is they're going to stick with him for now. They said they understand the seriousness of it, but you're right. Two, two DUIs and, and two DUIs probably, probably translates to lots of times getting behind the wheel of a car while drinking. So I, I couldn't agree with your take more. It, 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 he's got a problem and he needs to address that. And he's an old gentleman that should not be doing this. And good God, Uber, 
you know, you know, take take advantage of 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 all the different opportunities to not get behind the wheel of a car while you're drunk. But I think the uh, the, the White Sox have to make a move. I really, truly believe. Um, and my thought is before we record in a week, they may be making a move. I don't know how you stick with this. I don't know how you can justify it. We've heard players talk about there's no way I would go and play for that guy. Um, it's it's a black mark on the White Sox, and I am I am stunned that they moved, followed through with this when they knew this was coming uh, out publicly. And, and to your point, Bruce Bochy, who's also a great manager, still available and out there. And a guy like Sandy Alomar, who I think would make an yeah. excellent manager as well with the Cleveland Indians. So we'll see how that plays out. Let's move on to the third inning, Chad. And the other big news in the award season is the White Sox earned the MVP award for Jose Abreu, who uh, absolutely uh, had a dominant season in those 60 games. But the, the question I have for you, Chad, is there was that series against the Cubs earlier this season where Jose Abreu hit six home runs in that three-game series. He was impossible to stop. He had three home runs in one game. So I guess my question to you is, did Jose Abreu clinch the MVP award based on that Cubs series alone, in your opinion? It may very well be. and it, that That's one of those guys. And there's not a ton of those guys, sometimes by stature, but when they get in the batter's box and you just, you have your fingers crossed, you have your toes crossed because they look like they could do things un, ungodly, just incredibly, um, just, just like a superhero. He looked like that against the Cubs often. And the White Sox have a tremendous asset. I mean, they're, I, you'd be you'd be foolish as as a Cubs fan to not want to trade Jose for for Anthony, you know, just straight up. But I don't think the White Sox would make that move. This is a guy that 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 really um, showed off uh, what what is possible in in a, in a unique season. And uh, you know, I think the White Sox are really lucky to have this guy. He is a talent, and I think his his the way he plays the game, the way he approaches the game. This is one of those transitional. Um, one of those transformation, you know, one of these guys that just comes around once, um, once in once in a while, and he's going to be fun to watch for years to come. Yeah, he's he's a solid player. I mean, at thirty three, you know, he's he certainly hasn't lost a step, and he continues to play good baseball. Um, I do remember very vividly that series against the Cubs, and uh, I was certainly just wondering how how do you pitch to this guy? You couldn't. I mean, he was absolutely lights out. He completely dominated Kyle Hendricks that night, considering Kyle, as we both know, is lights on at Wrigley and, you know, throws his best stuff when he's at home. Didn't matter in that series or that game for that matter. Jose Abreu, I mean, he looked like Babe Ruth and he absolutely walloped those baseballs out of the ballpark. If there had been fans in the stands, um, lots of souvenirs would have been, uh, you know, going into the hands of fans or, you know, people sitting outside of the ballpark for that matter. Uh, He's a dominant player. And I certainly feel like that series against the Cubs helped his cause without a doubt. Absolutely. I mean, six home runs in the three game series uh, that was in the middle, I think it was of a 22 game hitting streak. And that was the longest in the majors. I mean, 19 home runs in, in 60 games plus, you know, batting 317. Fantastic. So let's move on to the, the fourth inning. And this is such a fun story, Ryan, and I'll let you go into the details of it. But when you scan the MVP votes now, Ian Happ did get some MVP votes. But uh, when you scan it, um, 
whereas Ian may have stood out for you because he certainly, you know, uh, you know, wasn't one of the league leaders, but he definitely did well for the Cubs. There's an interesting name on there, a reliever that some Cubs fans might have to recheck the roster to even remember if they saw him play. But Ryan Tapera got a single 10th place vote for the MVP. How the heck did that happen, Ryan? Was Did we miss something watching that guy? Yeah, I guess so. He, who knew? He was the real MVP for the Cubs this year. Uh, no, so apparently, and, and this is where the park gets even better, Rick Hummel, who is a longtime baseball writer for the St. Louis Post-Dispatch, apparently was intending to cast his 10th place vote for national shortstop Trey Turner. However, according to Rick Hummel, he had some issues voting on the website's drop-down menu, and he just clicked the wrong guy. So I guess instead of clicking Trey Turner, he clicked on Tapera. And hence... The best trivia question you can think of for 2020, Chad, when it comes to the Cubs, um, you know, in addition to Ian Happ, who else got MVP consideration? Uh, Ryan Tapera got a single vote for the MVP award. Um, you know, listen, obviously it didn't do anything to change the outcome of the MVP award. It wasn't something that was going to tip the scales either way. But as you said, and to your point, uh, still a fun story. And obviously, uh, human error does happen from time to time. And uh, this is just one of those moments where I guess you just chalk it up and you say, oops, and uh, you move on and you allow Ryan Tapera and his family to bask in the glow of saying, hey, I got an MVP vote. What about I you? love it. I mean, for his sake, hopefully that, you know, all the stories about the mistake and the the, the, the beat writer um, and the drop down menu, that'll go away. And he can just look back in 10 years and go, look, guys, in 2020. I really had it. <laughs> it's kind of a fun story. Right. And also it's kind of timely because and we're not going to get political here because we never get political here, but it's actually a fun actual example of voting issues and glitches. <laughs> so that's kind of fun. Um, but, you know, this is, yeah, true. And, and, you know, you know, my take on this is, is, is come on guys. I mean, if the guy knew that it was a glitch and he knew who he intended to vote, they should be able to fix this. This isn't like Andres Galarragas losing a perfect game on a blown call at first base on the last out. This is this, I think they should probably be able to fix this, but it's a fun story. And, and it's kind of interesting that him and Ian Happ, uh, you know, the shared some, uh, 10th place votes. So a lot of fun there. All right. So let's move on to the fifth inning, Chad. And the awards for the Cubs continues. The Cubs were named by Rawlings as the best defensive team in the National League this year. They edge out the Cardinals for the award. And uh, obviously it just, you know, goes hand in hand with the gold gloves that were handed out to Javi Baez and Anthony Rizzo this year. Um, so we know that defense is not an issue for this team going into 2021, right? Yeah, it's, 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 it's great to know that what you saw, you actually did see. And, and that's the one thing that I could say, you know, the offense clearly broken the offense, clearly there's issues, but defensively, I don't have a lot of fault with this team. I mean, you've got. You've got really the only spot on the team where you could say, uh oh, is, you know, by the eye test is Kyle Schwarber, but he has played very well in left field and, and as playing, playing often in left field. So for me, it's a neat award. It's cool. I didn't, I never heard of it before, <laughs> didn't know it was going to be a thing. So it's the first year they've ever done it and the Cubs get it. So for me, the Cubs passed the eye test. And if they could just turn it around on offense, this could be uh, a really strong team because, you know, 
you know, if the fundamentals are there defensively, you you save so many runs and you give your pitching staff so many opportunities for them to not have to work out of mistakes. But uh, defensively, this team played very strong. You know, Wilson Contreras, obviously a huge part of that. Javi Baez, a huge part of that. And the fact that, you know, two of the, the starting nine, the two of the starting eight, rather, got gold gloves probably helped them in their cause. So they name, and you named a couple of them, they were carried by placing five players in Sabres' top 25 overall fielders in the National League. Javi Baez, Anthony Rizzo, Jason Hayward, Nico Horner, and Wilson Contreras. So to say that, you know, the Cubs have arguably four of the best defensive players at their position in baseball, um, that's, that's very telling. And that says a lot because you don't want to ever add extra outs to an inning. And you don't ever want to give up more runs that you need to in an inning if you have to give up runs. So this just shows that the Cubs take care of business. And as you said, they, they have some of the top players, if not the top players at their position um, going into next year and have had that in years past. Yeah, let's, let's, so, uh, yeah, let's move yep, on to the, the sixth inning. And this is a fun story because it's a beloved guy. Aramis Ramirez was uh, named to the Dominican Hall of Fame. And I got to tell you, there can't, there's not a Cubs fan that exists that doesn't look back at his time with the Cubs and, and consider him has to be in, in, in the Mount Rushmore of, of all-time third basemen for the Cubs. What's your take on Aram? What's some of your fond memories and kudos to Aram for the, the Dominican Hall of Fame honors? Absolutely. You know, it's really interesting to me because remember for the longest time, there was that whole ism out there that the Cubs never had a good third baseman post uh, yeah. Ron Santo. Right. I mean, they had Ron say for a very short period of time. And then, of course, let's not forget all the experiments of players that they had over there that were supposed to be the next great third baseman. I mean, Gary Scott always comes to mind when I think of guys like that or who, whoever it may be. And Aram came over in that trade in 2003 with Kenny Lofton at the trade deadline. And from the very moment he came over, I mean, he was a force to be reckoned with. This man had multiple seasons where he hit over 30 home runs, had multiple seasons where he hit over 100 RBIs, um, you know, batted around 290 to 300, multiple seasons. You can make the case, Chad. I I'm dead serious. Aramis Ramirez is the best Cubs third baseman that this team has ever had. Um, and, and I can stand by that even with Chris Bryant's MVP award that Aramis Ramirez, if you take his numbers total with the Cubs, he could arguably be the best third baseman this team has ever had. And, and I think that he has the stats to, to back that up. So my memories of him are consistency, a guy who, I felt was very underrated when he played for them, partly because he didn't play on a lot of yeah. very good teams. And I think overall, he's a guy who you look at his numbers and, you know, you could even talk about numbers that he could get some votes. I don't know if he will ever get in, but certainly you can at least throw his name around the conversation to maybe potentially one day get into the Hall of Fame. What about you? I don't know if we're going to see him, um, you know, in the discussion within the Hall of Fame. I mean, but his stats, you know, when he came over from Pittsburgh, it did. He just solidified, uh, solidified things from 03 
all the way to 11 and, and, and a very strong year. When you look at his body of work, I don't know, you know, with, a, with another year under the belt with Chris Bryant, if he's healthy, I don't know if you can, you could, you can make that claim anymore from a body of work standpoint, comparing those two, but he was steadiness. He was strong. And I was at that game. I was so lucky in 2007. It was the craziest thing. Real quick story. Uh, there was a, a, a convention for my industry and I had a whole bunch of coworkers and I had some, some, uh, some, some of the, the, some good friends and execs at my company. I brought them to the game and I got my buddy Howard Fisher's seats. He had these three seats right by the Cubs bullpen down the left field line. And it was, it was, uh, it was kind of a chilly day. And uh, one of the guys we were with was an older guy and he was, he was tired. He wanted to head back. And I was like, no, we got to stay to the end. We got to stay to the end. And we were rewarded with the, uh, the colossal, the incredible walk-off home run um, in 2007. I believe it was like late June against the, the Brewers. That's my, my one memory of him because he just he was one of those guys that you know he would come up and just every now and then shock you with just a, a home run out of nowhere. He had this great power. And defensively, I can't remember him making a mistake. He was so strong. I think his war is somewhere in the mid-30s, probably not 40, so that's probably not going to get him into the Hall of Fame discussion. But a tremendous talent, um, good on him, and it's always nice to remember the good guys. The boys' interview with Cincinnati Reds pitching coach Derek Johnson will be in one minute. But first, a word about our sponsor. Chad, the 2020 baseball season is over, and of course, now we just have to wait till February. Less than 100 days away until spring training begins, we hope, but, you know, not that I'm counting. Well, as we wait for the upcoming season, now is a perfect time to enjoy some Federalist wine. It's an American wine crafted for the only tasting note that matters, and that's damn good taste. It's a bold choice with baseball or any sport. You can pair it with any food you desire, and if you go to uncork.com right now, that's uncork.com, and use the code CUBS20, you get 20% off your total purchase. That's absolutely right. Chad drinks it. I drink it. So you should, of course, drink it, too. This is Federalist Wine. This is an American craft wine. So as Chad said, go to uncork.com, use the promo code CUBS20, and get 20% off your purchase. Must be 21 years or older to consume alcohol. Please drink responsibly. Time now for the seventh inning stretch, and I could not be more excited about our guest this week. Just hours after Trevor Bauer was named the 2020 National League Cy Young Award winner, we're talking to Derek Johnson, the pitching coach for Bauer's Cincinnati Reds. Derek, welcome to the Friendly Confines with Chad and Ryan. Thanks, Chad. Thanks, Ryan. I appreciate being here and having me on. Yeah, we're, we're obviously going to talk about Bauer. We're going to dig into your career, give people some insights into what a major league pitching coach does, maybe even talk about your time coaching for the SIU Salukis. But let's start off. What was your reaction to when you heard that Trevor Bauer got the Cy Young? Yeah, so leading up to the, you know, the moment when he was announced, um, probably the best way to describe it is I was antsy and, and I was really unsure as to what direction it was going to go. And I mean, you know, for obvious reasons, your, your three finalists, um, you know, other than Trevor are you Darvish, who is, um, re- really unbelievable in, in just about every, every way watching him pitch. And then, you know, DeGrom is, is that guy, he's got two or three under his belt already. And, 
Um, you know, so just you never really know how it's going to go one way or the other. So when it was announced, I mean, probably, you know, the, the, the best word to describe is just really proud of, of Trevor and his accomplishments. I know how hard he worked for it and 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 too how much he, he wanted the award. So, um, you know, I thought it was was just really cool. It was very satisfying. What's it like coaching Trevor? And 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 in a follow up to that, are, are Cy Young award winners are they are they are they different? What do you see? Yeah, I mean, so many of these guys. I mean, all of these guys really are are so elite in one way or the other, and and they have different specialties and different strengths and and so forth. But you know, guys like Trevor, um, there aren't many like him, um, and I'd say that about probably any. Cy Young Award winner. I mean, I just think that they put themselves in a category that's above and beyond um, really the, the the rest of the guys. They separate themselves. And so, you know, um, coaching him, I, I wouldn't say was was like always easy um, simply because he's, he's really complex. He has a lot of things on his mind. He has a lot on his plate, the way he trains, the way he thinks. And, and so really a lot of your job is to stay out of the way um, and, and let him work through his process. And then the other part is to maybe like put some guardrails on some things to where um, it, it, it simplifies things for him. And, you know, a lot of times that's what these guys need. There's so much stuff out there. There's, you know, um, all of the technology that we're using, all of the analytical metrics um, that, that are out there. And so I, I think playing the game now can can be kind of confusing. And and I think, you know, helping guys get back to simple thought processes and, and simple ways of, of approaching the game um, is really needed, especially if you're taking all of that information into consideration and saying, saying that, like, you know, we want to use all the metrics, we want to use the technology, but we have to find a kind of the, the head of the, the spear so to speak, or the point of the spear to like make it simple so that we can, um, we can put it into action. And that, that was probably my main function with, with Trevor, um, you know, of, of certainly staying out of the way and letting him um, get through whatever it was that he was trying to get through, but then also maybe, you know, find some ways to simplify things for him as well. So it's, it's big accolades to you and you've had a few in your career. What does it mean to you as a coach to know that you led a Cy Young Award winner? Yeah, I haven't really thought of it in that way, to be honest. I mean, um, privileged would would come to mind um, because I, you know, I think you look at, at all of the people who who have um, sort of a say in in Trevor and 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 in Trevor's accomplishment. Um, you know, you look at uh, obviously Trevor first, and then you know you think of all the work and all of the things that he's done to prepare himself for that moment, and then I think you got to go along the lines of you know, your catchers preparing alongside of him for um, some sort of attack plan against the, the opposition. I think you got to look at the trainers who are, are working kind of around the clock during the season of, of keeping him ready and helping him recover. You know, you've got to look at the strength and conditioning side of things too, where, you, you know, these guys are, are keeping him healthy and strong throughout the course of the year. And then, you know, you even look at um, our, our nutritious tr- nutritionist or dietitian who's putting together, you know, things that taste good and, and are good for you and, and kind of fuel the body. You look at, um, you know, our advanced group and kind of them putting together um, things for, for us to see visually that makes sense so that, that we can throw the right pitches in the right spot. So I, I think it, 
you know, privilege does seem to be the, the right word. I mean, I think I'm a part of it. I don't think I'm the biggest part of it at, at all. I think there are a lot of, you know, there are a lot of people that, that led and helped to hit him be successful. You left the the Brewers in two thousand after the two thousand eighteen season to join the Reds uh, last year. Baseball America named you Major League Coach of the Year. What did you see in the Reds that made you think this is where your career needed to go next? Yeah, it felt like when we played them, um, they were on the cusp of um, you know some really good things. I thought they had some young talent that that hadn't quite matured yet, and and probably um, there was some growth potential there with some of the arms and. You know, it felt to me like on the other side of the field, it, it was sort of one of those things that was it hadn't happened yet, but it was was going to. So I felt pretty good about going into that situation with maybe some of the guys that I, I would be able to work with. I think then you you take it another step and, um, you know, David Bell and I had a chance to, to be with with one another for a short period of time with the Cubs and, you know, got to know David during that time and, and really um, think highly of him and felt like it would be a, you know, a, a good, uh, a good guy to, to do battle with. And, you know, it just felt to me like they were, um, they were ripe and, you know, and I, I love my time with the Brewers. It was, was a ton of fun. Um, we, we did a ton of really cool things while I was there and, and, and I still miss it. I mean, I, I still um, really think highly of, of that group. Um, so it was hard to come over to the Reds. I also thought it was a good opportunity. So that's uh, sort of how, how it all happened. It's pretty amazing you look at it. So because of COVID, other than the playoffs, you just had the opportunity to see National League and American League Central Division teams. And as it turned out, four of the six finalists and both winners were in the Central Division. What's your take on that? How did that happen? Is is, is the Central Division, both leagues, is it just become a pitching powerhouse or was it just uh, just fortunateness? Yeah, I'm not really sure. I mean, I think the pundits say it was actually the opposite, that that it was weak. Um, you know, the, the, the offense was weak in the league and I, I have a hard time agreeing with that. I mean, uh, of course this particular year, I didn't see the NL and the AL East. And I, I know, you know, historically they're, they're always good. Uh, but I, I can't sit here and say that the, the central is weak this year. The Cubs certainly had a lineup capable of doing a lot of really good things. And, um, you know, and, and obviously on down the, the, the list, the, the White Sox, um, very formidable, the, the Twins, very good. So, you know, like I kind of look at it like maybe maybe it's that the Central did have some um, really kind of high caliber pitchers and pitching in it. And maybe that's why the offense didn't look quite as good. Um, I do know that that at least from the National League Central perspective, when you play a team 19 times and it ends up being the Cardinals, the Brewers and the Cubs, uh, and then the Pirates as well, like you, you, you know, those guys pretty well and they know you. Uh, and I can promise you that, that, that those teams are, are very well equipped, um, offensively, very capable. Um, so, so for me, it was, I, I think we just probably lucked out into the idea of having decent pitching, uh, this particular year. So let's talk a little bit about you, Darvish. You you said you've seen you saw him uh, a bit um, because of the way the season was structured. What is your take on how he really? And I, I take this this goes back into the the All Star break of the previous year. He has really pulled it together in a way that that uh, is surprising so many. And he is the dominant pitcher that uh, that that you know his marketing says he is. So what's your take on him as you look at him as a pitching coach, his mechanics, what he brings to the table, and what he brings to the game that's unique. 
Well, I'll start with with watching him throw in the outfield after a start. He's throwing left-handed and right-handed, and they look equally good. <laughs> I mean, you know, so so obviously, like when you see that, you start there. You go, okay, so obviously this guy is like uber talented, right? And you, you know, and, and then you're watching um, sort of his approach and the way that that he's pitching. I mean, everything moves. He's got this very wide range of velocity that he can go to. So. You know, there's this 97 when he wants it. There's also this middle speed. There's a slower speed. Everything moves. It cuts. It slides. Um, I think I think for him, and this is reading between the lines and kind of seeing maybe a couple of versions of him, I think he finally stopped trying to pitch the way other people wanted him to pitch and started pitching the way he wanted to. And I, I, I'm not going to sit there. I'm not going to say that the Cubs did anything wrong or the Dodgers or the Rangers or whoever else he played for. I don't mean it that way. Well, what I mean is I think he, he, he wanted to pitch in a certain way. He wasn't sure that it was the right way or the way for him. I think now you see him, he looks more comfortable on the mound. He looks like his plan. Is, it's unique to him. Um, he's not afraid of, of throwing more breaking balls than he throws fastballs. Um, and it's, I mean, the bottom line, it's worked. I mean, from the all-star game on from 2019 on that dude was way different. Um, I mean, not to say that he wasn't good before then that, that, that would be unfair to say as well, because he, he's a stud and he always has been, but there was something different kind of after the all-star break and what he, he did in his approach. And, you know, maybe, maybe an easy way of saying it or looking at it is like, I think, I think he got comfortable with himself get comfortable with the idea of just throwing more break and stuff in general. And, and with that, he just didn't let, he didn't give in. Um, and I think if you parallel that with the idea that he doesn't walk anyone, it's like, it's a pretty good recipe, right? Mm. I mean, you know, your ball moves, you have wide speed ranges. You can do a lot of different things with the baseball. You can put it in a lot of different areas of the zone. Um, and you, you can actually work inside and outside of the zone comfortably you know, you're going to win a lot of games. And, um, and that's certainly, you know, what, what he's done um, here in the last year and a half to two years. Hey, this is Len Casper, the TV voice of the Chicago Cubs. You're listening to the Friendly Confines podcast with Chad and Ryan. And our special thanks to Derek Johnson, the pitching coach for the Cincinnati Reds. Ryan, how cool is that, that on, on really the week the Trevor Bauer wins the Cy Young. We get to talk to his coach. That's kind of cool, right? Well, that's very cool. I mean, it's perfect timing, Chad, just like we lined up George Will the week of the election. It was just absolutely perfect timing that we were able to do that. And, uh, of course, we always appreciate our Southern Illinois Salukis. Yes. So, uh, certainly, that was uh, great to be able to get him in the mix as well. And uh, certainly, we wish him nothing but the best for future Absolutely. Seasons. And so if you go to Amazon right now, the Complete Guide to Pitching by Derek Johnson is available. It's good for kids. It's good for um, high schoolers. It's good for anybody that wants to learn better mechanics. And obviously, as a Cy Young winning coach, uh, he, uh, he, he knows what he's talking about. So we're going to have part two next week, and he is going to talk about his time uh, his time, the, the links from the Cubs, how that led him to his his role with the Reds right now. He talks about he, he drops a, a story about Trace Ombres. He talks about going to Mary Lou's diner. He talks lovingly of his time at Carbondale. But uh, um, the complete guide to pitching by Derek Johnson um, is available wherever books are sold. Um, if you want to follow us, I am on Twitter at the Chad Gordon and Ryan is at 
Ryan D. Lieber. And so make sure you give us a follow uh, or look for us on our Facebook page, um, the Chicago Cubs Friendly Confines Facebook headquarters. We love our community there, and it's um, we've got some fun things working for this uh, this upcoming uh, this offseason we're in there right now. So let's move on to the eighth inning, and I pose this question to Derek. What do you think, Ryan? Handicap it for me. Is the universal DH, is it going to just be a thing moving forward? It certainly looks that way. And I got to tell you, I didn't hate it last year with it being in the National League. It didn't really make a difference or bother me. I thought it was going to, you know, bother me because I'm so used to the pitcher hitting in the National League and having that, you know, like kind of uh, old school feel, if you will, of baseball, the way it was meant to be played. But I got to be honest, I think it adds to the game. I think it adds to the opportunities for other players to have more at-bats. And I think this is a chance for baseball to lay down some more groundwork and, um, and, and add that universal DH, which ultimately is going to be happening, whether you are in agreement or not. What about you? You know, I think uh, a couple things. One, I think it's, it's absolutely going to be a negotiating point for – uh, the Players Association, because it does and it, it, it increases payrolls. It, it adds uh, value to, to additional players. It's good for the players. It's a little more expensive on the National League for um, for the owners. So it's going to be a negotiating point. I'm going to just going to share this for all the purists out there. I get it. I'm OK with you having an, uh, a reaction to this one way or the other. But I'm going to tell you. I don't think anybody's going to walk away from the game because, you know, a pitcher is going to hit a home run every once every 40 games and, and otherwise bat like under 100. And it was funny. I was talking to, to, to Derek Johnson about this and he just talked about it was, it just took the, the weight off of their coaching staff. They didn't have to think about, well, we've got to pull this pitcher and in, inning before we need to, because we need the bat in there. Um, and he said, I don't think people are going to be too upset about missing it um, if it does happen. And then instantly in my head, I was like, yeah, yeah, yeah about uh Arietta's home run you know <laughs> what about what about Kerry Wood's home run you know what about you know you think about all the all the fun wins that happened uh at different times where you're like ah those were so awesome because they're so rare that they stand out but for me this game and, and the way pitching has really just exploded in the last few years um and offenses have, have kind of kind of faltered we need more runs in this game. There needs to be more excitement in this game and having that automatic out typically on the ninth spot um, is not adding to that. So I'm not opposed to it. I didn't miss it this year. I certainly didn't. It was kind of fun knowing who was going to be there and knowing that there wasn't that, that pitching around the eighth guy to get to a potential automatic out. So my vote is I'm okay with it. I expect it to happen. And I don't think it's going to be a travesty to the game. I think it's going to be an improvement. All right, so let's finish up here in the ninth inning, Chad. And, uh, you know, kind of a sad story, but we thought we'd make it into a fun story. Um, Alex Trebek, the longtime host of Jeopardy, lost his battle with pancreatic cancer at the age of 80. Um, But, of course, all the speculation now is how do you replace a legend, whether it's in sports or in business or even on television? It's impossible to replace somebody such as Alex Trebek or someone in that sort of stratosphere. So I thought I would pose the question, Chad, if there was a Chicago Cub that you thought would be a great replacement or, you know, at least have the opportunity to be the next host of Jeopardy, who would you pick from the Chicago Cubs to be that person? It's an interesting question. I appreciate it. And, and Alex Trebek just absolutely 
a legend um and uh and uh what a, what a great life lived and and what a legacy he has taken too soon um but uh after what such a battle i'm glad he's resting in peace now i when i think about this question it's interesting i i you know obviously if it has to be a current cub it changes thing but i think dempster obviously would would jump into this role and be perfect for it i think he he's made for it but the guy i'm going to throw out there is 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 based upon just listening to his podcast the compound he's sneaky funny he's understated because you can't have a real gregarious guy in this role you need to have somebody because this is a trivia show and it's got some decorum some class to it i, I go ian half i think that he he would do a nice job he's he's got a deadpan delivery which i like and alec has um, that's my take. What do you think? Yeah, I think those are both great takes. The Dempster idea, obviously, as the former Cub, I think, you know, so totally makes sense. And Hap would be my answer for like the player side. But I was thinking just within the organization, for me, it's David Ross. You know, Rossi is also somebody who's got a great sense of humor. He has an amazing personality. He's somebody who can command a room. Everybody likes Rossi. He's like one of the most likable guys in baseball. I just feel like he would be a perfect host for a show like Jeopardy, and he'd be able to laugh at himself. I could totally see him mispronouncing a name and just being like, you know, what am I even doing here right now? And, you know, (laughs) making jokes uh, with the contestants and whatnot. So I think Rossi, if we can use anyone within the organization, he would be my choice to uh, be the host. And then if we're talking specifically just about players, yes, I do feel like Ian Happ does make a lot of sense. As as you mentioned, he does have his own podcast and he is funny and he uh, certainly knows, you know, how to kind of control the tempo of of something like that as well. Well, that is going to do it and wrap things up on this edition of the Friendly Confines. Once again, our thanks to Cincinnati Reds pitching coach, Derek Johnson. For Chad, I am Ryan. We'll talk to you next time, everybody. Have a good one. See you at the ballpark. Don't let anyone say that it's just a game. For I've seen other teams and it's never the same. When you're born in Chicago, you're blessed and you're healed. The first time you walk into Wrigley Hey everyone, I'm Chad Gordon. And I'm Ryan Lieber. We're the hosts of the Friendly Confines podcast. Each week we'll bring you the latest Cubs news from the fans' perspective with some of the biggest names in sports. Joe Buck, welcome to the Friendly Confines with Chad and Ryan. Yeah, oh my God, I'm happy to do it. Pat Hughes, welcome to the seventh inning. Happy to be here, Chad. It is Len Casper. You got it, Ryan. Chad, happy to be with you guys. The Hawk, Andre Dawson. What is my distinct I'm doing fine, thank you. We're also excited to bring you new episodes as part of the Barroom Network. So if you're a Cubs fan or even just a baseball fan, be sure to check out the Friendly Confines podcast every week on the Barroom Network. And now for part two of Chad and Ryan's interview with Pulitzer Prize winner, George Will. Hi, this is Andre Dawson, and you're listening to Ryan and Chad on the Friendly Confines podcast.